Friends, what a great time of year this is. Lent, yes. Springtime, yes. March Madness, yes. Father Mark giving up March Madness for Lent, no. (laughs) Well, only once. So a little story. 21 years ago, 2001, most of you in this chapel did not yet exist. Even you seniors, you were sucking at your mother's teat and soiling yourselves. That's how long ago this was. So I am brand new in the seminary. I'm doing what's called the spirituality year down in St. John Vianney in Denver. And listen, you got to know this about me. I love hoops. I hooped all throughout college. I organized my schedule so that I would be free at 3 o'clock every single day for the 3 o'clock run that we had at Gonzaga where I went to school. So thankfully the Lord gave me the grace of being able to wake up in the morning. I'm like, sweet, I'll do all 8 o'clock classes. I was always done by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I just hooped every afternoon and it was perfect. And it can be done, so don't complain, all right? Don't be like, oh, it's so hard. No, you can do it. You just got to want it. After I graduated, I went and taught high school where I coached both girls and boys hoops because back in that day, the seasons were split. So I'd coach girls in the fall and then boys in the winter. And then in the summer, I ran basketball camps. So let's just say hoops was a big part of my existence, all right? I was verging toward an agapeic relationship with the game of basketball, all right, if such a thing is possible, okay? But here I am now. 2001, I enter seminary, and I'm in this spirituality year that has a media fast. So only on the weekends could I check the news, the internet, right, to see how things were going back at Gonzaga. And Gonzaga had a great team back then. They topped out at number six in the nation, and that was a rarity back then. Now it's not. It's like, oh, number six, it's a down year, all this stuff. But no, back then, it had never really happened before. And so I'm following guys I knew from my time at college watching them have great success, and it was really, really fun. Well, wouldn't you know that part of that spirituality year is a five-day silent retreat that happened to fall in March, right over the opening rounds of March Madness. So I'm like, Lord, I will offer this to you. And I thought I'd be good at it, and I was terrible at it. So here's what happened. The whole time, I'm like on this retreat in the silence in this beautiful part of Colorado and I am just fighting our Lord. I'm so, well, the technical word is pissed. I'm just pissed. I gave you my life, Lord. And all I want to do is watch basketball. I just want to watch one game. I want to follow GU in this tournament. And I'm in my little room. We had all our rooms by ourselves and we're supposed to do five holy hours a day and Every one of my holy hours just was a fight. And oftentimes it was like a moving fight. Like I'd be pacing in my little retreat cell. I'm back and forth just like, I can't believe this, man. I just want to watch the game. And I'm like, right? Like almost having a fight with our Lord. Had he been incarnate in in the room, I think we would have had an encounter, right? Of an aggressive sort. And I'm going back and forth, internally fighting this forever, losing all the graces of the retreat until finally I think, 
Maybe I should talk to my spiritual director about this. Well, that's a good move. Maybe I should manifest what's going on in my heart on retreat. But I didn't want to because I thought this is such a dumb thing, but it was still the real thing. That's the thing. The dumb thing can often be the real thing. And it was the real thing in my life. So I finally bring it to Father Goransky. And he was a good priest and a good spiritual director. And I'm sure he thought, what a loser. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to watch the game. It's on Thursday. They play Wyoming. I want to watch the game. He was so great because he didn't lecture me about how immature I was being. He didn't attack me for being small-hearted and selfish. Here's what he did. Sure. If you want to watch the game, we can find a TV somewhere around here. And we'll set it up. And you can watch the game. That didn't solve my inner dilemma, even though it might have looked like it. Because at the end of that, he goes, so what do you choose, Mark? And then he left. And I'm like, this is even worse now. (laughs) His response was one of the greatest gifts I'd ever been given. One of the greatest gifts of my life, actually. Because... He didn't make the choice for me. He let me choose. And so I had to own what was going on in my heart. And I had to square up to my own immaturity and especially to my attachment, which was certainly disordered. FYI, I didn't watch the game. And it wasn't because I made some great moral choice and offering. It was because the grandfather of one of the other men on the retreat passed away and we got word of it and we were going to pray a rosary for his soul during the time Gonzaga was playing and it took that for me to be like okay let it go man let it go here's the thing more than my immaturity or my attachments I had to recognize that my relationship with God had a deep distortion And it was this, that God is a taker and not a giver. That God was a taker and not a giver. And fellow sinners, I'm afraid most of us probably see God that way. That he's a taker and not a giver. And that when he draws near or he invites us to come close, we have to face down a fear that he's an existential threat to us, that his approach will change and slash ruin our lives. That's real. It's not pretty, but it's real. And if you spend some time this week praying about that, you might find that that's operative because it's operative in all of us. Pope Benedict XVI, at the first mass that he preached at the inauguration of his pontificate said this are we not perhaps all afraid in some way if we let Christ enter fully into our lives if we open ourselves totally to him are we not afraid that he might take something away from us 
Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? He said that to the whole church and to the whole world because that's how we are, fellow sinners. But the truth is this, that God isn't a taker except of our sin and shame and sadness, but rather that he's the great giver because that's who he is. And he doesn't need anything from us. And so the way that he relates to us is non-competitively. He's not a threat to us. Because he doesn't need us, he simply loves us. And that love transforms and elevates us. It doesn't destroy us, but it does purify us. It's like the burning bush that Moses sees in the first reading we hear tonight. See, he's drawn to that bush, not because it's on fire, but because it's on fire and not destroyed. That's the love of God. That's how God is with us. His divine, uncreated presence comes to our natural, created existence. And he elevates and transforms us while purifying us. And that, my friends, is the life of grace. St. Paul knew it. 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been ineffective. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And that grace has had great effect in my life. God's grace is what creates us and recreates us. And it is supremely effective. It produces produces. But that grace, friends, is not some sort of self-improvement plan that has a nice little assist from God. That's not what it is. We didn't come to Mass tonight to improve ourselves. We came to Mass to be transformed by the divine life, not by our natural lives, but by His life coming into us. And He wants that very much. See, though God is not a taker and he is a giver, he is very much in the business of taking us beyond our small sphere of pseudo-control. When Moses draws near the burning bush, the entire trajectory of his life changes. Everything is different from that point forward. There's no going back. It's the same with Simon Peter. It's the same with St. Joseph, whose solemnity we celebrated yesterday. It's the same with our Blessed Mother. It's the same with me. And it's the same with you if you draw near to his fiery love. Jesus wants to change our points of reference, the ways we identify ourselves, the things we look to for our confidence and security. He wants to change all of it so it all points to him. It all comes from him. And friends, that is not a bad thing at all. Though it is really disorienting, it does confuse us and it does force us to look at things in a new way. But that's a good thing Because God wants to form us to be about the most important work of all, 
which is bearing fruit for the sake of his kingdom. Jesus says, you did not choose me. It was I who chose you to go forth and bear fruit that will remain. See, we didn't choose God. He chose us. If you think you're here because you chose God first, you're wrong. He chose you first. And he made it possible for you to choose him. So you being here is beautiful and good because you chose. But he chose you first. That's the great news of the gospel. He doesn't wait for us to figure it out. But he draws close to us because he chooses us first. Before we're perfect, before we're mature, before we're selfless. He chooses us and he gets real close to us. And he wants to draw us into his life and into his mission. Amazingly, and it is amazing, God wants us involved in his plan. He wants it that way. Great words from St. John Henry Newman. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. He's committed a work to you that he hasn't committed to anyone else. That is so amazingly encouraging. What does he want to do with that? He wants to draw you right into the fire of his love to set you ablaze with that same fire that burned around the burning bush, elevating and transforming it, not destroying it. And he wants that to happen now. He wants that in your life now. He wants you to bear fruit for the kingdom now. He wants you to be about his mission now, not later. I've said this before, and it's a great line. The most dangerous word in the spiritual life is later. It's later. Oh, I'll do it later. I'll get serious about my relationship with God later. I'll approach him when he calls me, but I'll do it later. You want to know why that's so dangerous? Simply this. What makes you think that after years and sometimes decades of avoiding God's call, you'll suddenly become adept at responding to it? What makes you think that that's the case at all? No, you're going to get worse at responding to it because you'll build a habit of just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and then you'll never do what God wants. That's why now is so encouraging. So what do we do? We approach God when he calls us. And my friends, he is calling every single person in this chapel here tonight, every single one of us. He's calling tonight to get closer to the fire of his love, to be about his mission, to bear fruit for his kingdom. And when we approach, we should approach with great confidence and courage, even though it means our lives will change because our confidence is in him and our courage comes from him who is our friend as well as our Lord 
Remember Pope Benedict's quote about us all being afraid that we'll lose something if we follow God? Here's how he finishes. No. No. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No. Only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Do you believe that? Take some time and pray about that. Pope goes on. So today, with great strength and great conviction on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say to you, dear young people, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes away nothing, and he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open wide the doors to Christ, and you will find true life. Amen. I heard those words that I just read to you in person. I heard him say those words in person. Because that same immature, selfish seminarian who whined about not being able to watch the Zags, by the way, they lost that first round game to Wyoming by seven, 73-66. Well, that same seminarian got sent to Rome and I met St. John Paul II. I was there for his funeral. I was there when the white smoke came out of the Sistine Chapel, signaling that we had a new pope. I was in the square in St. Peter's watching that. I was in that same square when Pope Benedict XVI came out on the loggia and greeted the world and blessed the world for the first time. And I was there at the Mass where he said those words. And so I say to you tonight, on the basis of long personal experience of life, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away and gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, he receives a hundredfold in return. Yes, open. Open wide the doors to Christ. And you will find true life. Amen.